ever a reason to sing hallelujah, it's because of Jesus. And I don't know how you came here this morning. Like, it's what you do on Sunday. Like this, we go once or twice a month. We go every Sunday. But I'm, I'm telling you, there's a reason to sing hallelujah. Christ defeated death, and he can live within you. And many of you in this room, he lives within you. And he changed your life. Completely, radically changed your life. And so when we sing with our hands in our pockets and we're kind of halfway into it, you're not thinking about what he did for you. You know what he did for you, right? He breathed life into you if you know him. And so there's a reason to look on that screen that says hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. You raised me from the dead. And there is hope in him. I was going to, I said this in the first service. I was saving this for during the sermon, but this is the mini sermon before the sermon. This right here is so good. I heard David Platt. I was riding my bike last night and I listened to podcasts. By the way, if your spiritual growth is uh, dependent on you coming here on Sunday only and you never get in the word and you don't ever try and fill your life with things that are going to challenge you, you are missing out. And so go find some awesome podcasts. I mentioned this. If you didn't hear the message from last week, go listen to it on a podcast here. Listen to other solid teachers. And I was listening to this last night. I was riding my bike. And I'm like, man, that is just so good. Of what he read a quote from a Canadian scientist named G.B. Hardy. I'd never heard of this guy. He said, when I looked at, the, at, at religion, I said, I have two questions. Question one, has anyone ever conquered death? question two, if they did, did they make a way for me to conquer it as well? And he said, I checked the tomb of Buddha, and it was occupied. And I checked the tomb of Confucius, and it was occupied. And then I checked the tomb of Muhammad. Oh, and it was occupied. Then I came to the tomb of Jesus, and it was I said, oh, there's one who conquered death. And then I asked the second question, did he make a way for me to do it? And I opened the Bible and I discovered that Jesus said, because I live, you also shall live. If there's a reason to sing hallelujah, it's because of him. He conquered death and he chose for us in this room who know him, he chose to give you life. And that's something to sing about. It's not something to sit back and go, hey, church we just think we're just gonna go to church go sing and then somebody else speak and then we'll go home oh man this time to be reminded of what he's done for us and it's like man these are marching orders when we leave here this morning man the hope that lives within us if we go spread that around the world we spread that in our neighborhoods around other people man that's what it's about the hope that lives within you because of jesus let's pray lord thank you for um, this morning and the time that we have together god just to sing to you we do. We just proclaim together, all of us together, just say hallelujah, God, hallelujah for what you've done for us. The hope that springs eternal, now and forever. Ooh, you live within us. You've given us life. And there is reason for us to sing and not to just go through the motions. God, call us out of that. Kind of like yesterday when I was stung by bees. It woke me up. God, wake us up this morning. Remind us why we're here. Why do we gather because of what you've done, Jesus. 
come to encourage each other in our walk with Christ and to make much of you, Jesus, during the week and wherever you send us, God. So, Father, as we look at Philippians chapter 3, God, would you open our hearts and minds to what you want to say to us? And I ask each one of you to pray this right now with me. Pray it in your heart. God, speak to my heart this morning. Move in my heart. Stir my heart. Wake me up, God. Remind me of what you've done. Help me to strive to be like you, to imitate you. God, change my life this morning. God, we pray all this in the strong name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Right, you can be seated. My name's Kent, if I have not met you. And uh, so good to have you here this morning. I know that, um, well, I assume a lot of you have been on vacation. Um, we have, we went on vacation. We went to Mississippi first. That doesn't sound like a place to go on vacation. And trust me, it's not. Um, <laughs> We have family who just moved there recently. We had a great time, actually, over the July 4th uh, holiday. And then we came back, and I went to the Dominican Republic. And um, I lead a ministry called the 25 Project. Our church um, supports our ministry. We work with orphan, vulnerable kids, and I got to serve down there. And actually, what I'm going to talk about today in this scripture in Philippians, I didn't know it at the time. I just put it together this week. I'm like, oh, it's the same, similar topic as what we talked about down there. Uh, dealing with a lot of, um, do we work for our salvation? The answer is no, we don't. That's why we sing, hallelujah, Jesus, you did for me what I could never do. I could never be made right for you. When is it ever enough? I can't do enough. I can never reach his perfection. So, Jesus, you came and did it for me. So, I'm dealing with this in the Dominican Republic where we have legalism. That is, I mean, when you hear the word rampant, like, you, you picture that in your mind, like, it's everywhere. It permeates the church there. And so it's an uphill battle fighting with to the, the, the local church there who's teaching a false gospel. But we got to teach on that this past, whatever it was, two weeks ago, and saw some kids come to faith and others who know him, and just to pour more of the word into them. It was awesome to be able to get to go again after COVID has um, kept us from the last year, and I'm praying that um, with the spike and everything that uh, it's going to get under control. That's our hope and prayer. So I came back from the Dominican Republic, Got home on a Thursday night and then washed clothes. And then uh, Friday morning, we left for Florida. Now, Tammy and I went on our anniversary. Uh, you will think we're crazy, but we went to Phoenix in June and because uh, it sounded like an awesome place to go. And we went to the airport on that Tuesday afternoon. I remember it was 118. And uh, so we thought for vacation, though, let's go somewhere similar, but let's add humidity to it. <laughs> and so... We went to, no, not Houston, sorry, my wife's from there. We would not do that on vacation ever, but we went to Florida, to Sanibel Island. Anybody ever been to Sanibel? Way down in the southern part, and it was blazing hot. I mean, you walk out the door and get hit by a wave of humidity, and, um, and that's what we did for vacation. It was a lot of fun. So we took our kids, obviously, and, um, which is an adventure in itself, and um, you know what I mean. We had a blast. We had a really good time. Um, you know, sometimes with our kids, we, well, if you have children, or if you're younger, you don't have kids yet, but you're thinking, one day I'll have kids. Or if you have grandkids, you, you want to see those kids imitate you, the good things about you, and then other things you don't want them to imitate. And uh, so some time ago, we started do, doing this, and it's really, I would encourage you to do this. Imitate, this sounds so arrogant. Paul says it eight times in Scripture, by the way. But um, imitate 
or take this note from us. This is one good thing we've done, okay? We have not reached it, okay? Like Paul, I hadn't reached it. I'm the, I'm the chief of all sinners, okay? But we started asking waiters and waitresses whenever we would go somewhere, even when you go to check out at a restaurant, like a, you order your food and go sit down, ask them, hey, we're going to pray for our food. Uh, and when we eat, is there something we can pray for you about? And you would not believe some of the conversations that just come from that. Sometimes it's nothing, and it's really awkward, which can, I like kind of awkward. I like awkward sometimes. <laughs> I get enjoyment out of that for some reason. And then other times, it is amazing to see people pour out their life. Even this week, I had lunch with a friend, and the waiter, and then another guy who brought the food. Uh, we got to ask both of them, and the conversation that came from that, we got to show the gospel with the guy. And he's going through a very difficult time. And so you plant seeds of the gospel, and, and our kids have seen this for some time, and um, we're seeing that replicated. They're imitating that, saying, hey, we're going to do this. Yeah, and I hope when they get older, and you know, they're going to do the same exact thing. But then there are other things that you're like, eh, I don't know, I want them really imitating that. You can't hide from them, you know. You can't hide from your kids. You're going to, you, you show everything. They know my weaknesses. Tammy has two or three weaknesses. I've got, you know, multiple, <laughs> many weaknesses, and they know them all. Um, but one, one thing, they know this about me. I love to, I like, I love to mess with people. Like, I like to mess with it where it's awkward and giving out your phone number in a different cadence or, you know, where it's just throws them all four, six, nine, six, six, seven, one, five, nine, nine. And then you watch their head just, <laughs> what? So that's not, I'm not, it's not original to me. I got it from somebody else. But I love using that, just random people. And watch them just go crazy. Don't crack a smile. So, and there's a bunch of things I could list off of things I like to do. So, my kids are picking that up, and I noticed it in Florida the other day. Brooks and I, our oldest is out there in the deeper part of the ocean, and we see Braden, our middle one, coming up. And he jumps over a wave, and it's not as deep as what he thought. And um, he smacks the earth. Um, not much water there, maybe six inches of water, something like that. And he hits it hard. And, you know, if you're a parent, you know when your kid really is hurt or when it's like, yeah, he's hurt. And um, I could tell he really is hurt. And so, the, oh, gosh. And then Brooks, of course, he doesn't imitate me. He's like, Brooks, the whole world could be burning down, and Brooks over here would say, it's fine. It's fine. Totally fine. We got a nuclear war going on. It's fine. It's fine. So he doesn't follow me out there because Braden's fine. And I get over there and check on Braden. He hadn't lost a limb. He's fine. He is fine in the end. He did get hurt. But I walk back over to Brooks, and Brooks is standing there alone where there were two boys that were standing there, little little boys. Back at the helm. And he said, do you remember those two boys that were standing here? I said, yeah. He said, they asked me what happened. And I was like, and what did you tell them? And he said, well, uh, I told them, uh, I think maybe it was a shark attack. <laughs> so... And if you could, I'm sure, have seen my face, it was like that. That's my boy. That's my boy. Imitating me. That's good. He's saying he's told a lie. Well, he didn't tell a lie. He, just, he was just messing with them. Imitating. But we, we imitate like they're our kids. They pick things up from others that they're influenced by. I wonder for you. Paul, well, let me say this. Paul says it twice in this passage in chapter 3. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I used to think, when I would see him, I'd be like, I don't like arrogance. Like, I don't, I, oof, I don't like arrogant athletes. I don't, I just be humble about everything. Everything you got is from God anyway, so why do you need to be arrogant about anything? But I used to think about Paul, like, man, it's so arrogant. 
But I look back and think, in, in Scripture, those, they didn't have the Word. They didn't know how to act. All they had was the law. And the law is very different than living under grace. And so how are they supposed to act? Paul's saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so let me ask you this question. For you in your life, not that you think about this consciously on a daily basis, but who does your life most look like? Who do you imitate? And in the culture we live in, in Collin County, it's not a very good culture, is it? And I'm wondering this. I have to ask this of myself. How do I, how do you look different than the neighbor or the person on your street that does not know Christ? Because I've met a lot of really good people before. You know, you meet people who, I know people right now, I could list off their names, who are not believers, but, man, they are, they are the nicest, like the nicest guy. He will do, he'll take the shirt off his back to help you. So how, how am, but, and he's not, he doesn't have the Holy Spirit living in him. So how am I different from people even like that? What's different about us as believers? Look, we come on a Sunday morning, all of us gathered here, and I don't know your motivation for coming. But surely, we just sang again about the hope of Jesus. That's the reason we come. And if you need to be reminded of that, like you just came because it's a routine. But the reason we show up in this place, it's because of Jesus. Like, that's the reason. We're not under the law. We're under grace and what he did. And so my life, like Paul says, man, I want to imitate Christ. I want to imitate him. That's who my life is to. Hello, wake up here. The, for all of us, I have to like, the reason I live, the reason I exist in this short life that goes by in a, in a vapor, doesn't it? For those of you who live, lived a little bit, it goes by so fast. This little short life, the reason I live, if I'm a believer and follower of Christ, he is the reason that I live. And it's to imitate him and to be like him. And so as we sit here this morning, as you're evaluating your own life, how does your life, someone who's been supposedly changed by Christ, and I'm assuming yours is, if you've been changed by Christ, how's it different than your neighbors? Because if you've been changed by Christ, you don't spend your money the same way. Ooh, you don't. You're the most generous people on the planet when it comes to your time with your possessions, with your money, you're looking to bless because you realize the money that you have in your bank account is not yours. Jesus says this. He says, man, when you, when you come to him and walk in a relationship with him, uh, it is actually a call to die so that you can live. But just sacrifice is saying, I give up. I relinquish control of my life and everything I own. And my children, everything I own. And I give it to you, Jesus, because you're worth following. And that's what you require, and you demand that. And so this little thing that we've come up with, I grew up with, and I think permeates church culture. Are you listen to me? Praying a prayer just to get out of hell. Um, you don't find that here. You read the New Testament. Whenever Jesus encountered someone, there was a transformation that took place. Okay, And so the existence of a prayer that says, I want to get out of hell, and that's it. Don't ask me anything else. You don't find that here. You find, it, you find the opposite. And so this morning, when you evaluate your own life, you say, who do I look like? Do I look like, like someone who's radically in love with Jesus? Or am I fitting into the culture? And I look like everybody else.
And could it be that God's speaking to you this morning saying there's some things in your life need to change? And I think Paul, he has a lot to say here. But in chapter 3, and I don't even have time to go through this, I can't really go verse by verse because there's the, the text on this, as I've read and I've meditated on this scripture, like it's honestly, when you read scripture sometimes, it's like, man, there is so much there. If you don't just cruise through it, it's like, man, every little bit is like, God, man, it's so deep. It's just too much here. But I want to hope to attempt here in the next few minutes I've got just to kind of um, go through and really focus on 12, 13, and 14 of chapter 3. But before I get there, I can't really get there without backing up in the other parts of chapter 3. Verse 1 through uh, 11 is Paul more or less laying out the case for what he's going to say in 12, 13, and 14. And let me just summarize what it is. In verse 4, he says this. My eyes are... See if I can find it. Uh, okay. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, oh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, Blameless. Some of your versions might say faultless. So what's he saying? He says, when it comes to the law, I have, I will stomp you in that. I am so good. It was like, almost like an arrogant claim, like no one's better at me than me at following the law. You remember the law? You remember this? At least, there's 613 rules and regulations to follow. That's a lot, right? I, I can't keep track of more than one or two. Just I can't speed and stay in this lane. And, but you give me a bunch more, 611 more, and I'm, I, whew, I, I'm not that smart. Paul says, I follow those better than anybody. And all the other ones that the Pharisees would add to it. And I will stomp any of you when it comes to comparing what I've done compared to what you've done. In, in fact, the, uh, uh, the Philippians there at that time and other believers, um, they would look at Paul and they would be like, this dude? That guy's got it together, and I can't even come close to him. We should imitate his life and how well he carries out the law. He's so, so good at carrying out the law. He's got all the boxes checked. He's got all that. And Paul would say, you think you've done some stuff? Nah, bruh, you ain't done anything compared to me. I've done it all. And then he says, if I can find it here, he says, I was blameless. In verse 7, he says, but whatever gain I had, he says, you stack up all these accolades and all the gain, which I was trying to get God's approval, get righteousness from God by following the law. And it's over and over. It's something you never can. Do I have I done enough? Have I done fully enough? He's like, I've done all these things. And whatever gain that would bring me and that you all, the accolades you would give to me to say, I'm the guy, I'm the man here, all that gain, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Everything. All the things he had done to, make, to be right with God. I, every single thing. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things 
all things. And then he says this, and I count them as rubbish. Some of your versions might say garbage, filth. I don't know, there's a bunch of, I looked them up. But the, the Greek word is skubala. And I'm telling you this. You read some commentaries on this, and because uh, I'm not an expert in Greek, but when you read the word scubala, like when, he, when they read this letter to the church in Philippi, and they're like, and that count, there's you guys reading, count all things as, um, oh, scubala. Everybody would have been, that, that head would whip around. What did he just say? Because it was almost like to get your attention. He says, all the accolades that I've got, which you think are worth a ton, you're amazed by them. I count them as excrement, as poop, literally dog dung. That's what he says. Compared to knowing Christ. Compared to knowing Christ. I mean, that's a, that's a strong statement if you ask me. You look at what Paul's saying there. It's like, hey, all this stuff, it, I don't even care about it. It doesn't mean anything to me. Throw them out. I'm done with that because I found Christ and knowing Christ. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having, listen to this, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, from doing a bunch of stuff. I get a righteousness by following all the rules and regulations of the law. No, no, no. I didn't find the righteousness through that. But that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God, that depends on faith. And he says this, that I, I've mentioned this before in one of our prayer nights. This passage always has been like, it just, he's writing this from prison. And he says this. Now, he said, if you look at his journal in Corinthians, like everything he's been through in the, for the sake of Christ, he's been through a ton, a lot more than any of us. Beaten, I mean, all the, all the things he had been through. And yet, toward the end of his life, he's saying, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Thinking, Paul, don't you already know him? Yeah, he knows him. But he's saying, man, I want that, but I want to know him more. I want to know him. I make this comparison. When Tammy and I first met, the, the instant I met my wife, I, didn't, I met her on a blind date, and the instant I met her, I'm like, I want to know more. I like this girl. We went on a date, went on a second date. I'm like, I like this girl. I really, really like this girl. I want to know her more. And the more we went on with that relationship, when we finally defined the relationship, when I begged her, I said, will you be my girlfriend? And she said yes. I'm like, yes. I want to know her. I want to know her. And now we've been married all these years. I don't know how long we've been in a relationship, but marriage, 19 years. And uh, I don't know everything about her, but I still want to know more. Guys, that in comparison... It does not compare to knowing Christ. Paul knew Christ, but he's saying, as he's locked up in jail, I just want to know him. I just want to know the power, and, and, the, and it, I want to know his sufferings. I want to identify with him and his sufferings. So if you get to verse 12, all that preface to verse 12, he says this, not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect. Don't you think that? You guys think I'm perfect, but I'm not. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He's saying this, brother, I, I, don't, I don't know. 
but this one to do all the paths, all the accolades. I just want to know him. And he says this, not that I've already obtained this. What's the this that he's talking about? Not that I've already obtained this. What is that? And he says, there's two things he's talking about here. And it's back in verse 10 and 11. It says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So one, he said, what's the this there? The this is he's looking forward to when his body will be restored and made new. He will be with Jesus forever, like in, in the presence of him. And the second thing is, I want to know Jesus in his sufferings. I mentioned this earlier, but many people come to, to, uh, come to a church, they hear the, the message and say, man, I just want to, yeah, I, I want to go to heaven so I receive Christ. And we don't say the full thing like, hey, when you come to Christ, young man, young lady, little boy, little girl, you actually, you're coming to, you're giving up everything. Like it's a sacrifice. You need to know what you're getting into. But as I said earlier, in the earlier service, and I said this to the kids in the fourth and fifth grade. I think it was last week when we were teaching there. I've never met someone who's been transformed by Jesus. Personally, I have not. Who has ever regretted it? Ever. And so while he demands a massive sacrifice, which is your life, which is your dreams, your plans, your hopes, all those things, your money, your time, your energy, everything you ever hoped for, you hand it over to him, I will tell you this from someone who's been walking with Jesus for a long time and some less than some of you. And I've got a long way to go. But what I do know of him, you will never regret. If you're walking with him and you've been transformed by him, you'll never regret that relationship. You'll never. You'll look back and go, man, that was the best decision I ever made. And Paul, sitting in jail, he would say the same thing. It's the best decision I ever made. When he turned my eyes on the Damascus Road and he woke me up, thinking I was doing what was right, and he breathed life into me and showed me what grace was all about, that I have to earn salvation. He would say, man, it's worth it, no matter all the trials and tribulations to follow Jesus, it was worth it in the end. And so I said that to you, for some of you who may be looking at faith, or maybe you prayed a prayer one time, but quite honestly, there's no evidence in your life in forever, maybe ever, maybe in years, of that there's the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you think, it's all good because I prayed the prayer. And I'm telling you, I don't see that in this book. I don't. I see Jesus, when he encounters someone, he changes their life. He changes their motivations. He changes everything about them. And when that happens, and I can tell you, for me, I do have all the confidence where he lives within me. And I will tell you, whew, not that life is easy. Life's so hard sometimes. And the struggles that we've all had. But I'll tell you this. He is worth following. And it's like, Jesus, I want to share with you. I'll share in your sufferings. It's like a, like a crazy man to say, I want to share in your sufferings, Jesus. That's what he's saying. Paul's saying that it's not just about getting into heaven. It's about, man, I want to identify with you, Jesus. I want to know you deeply. That I'm not just reaching. I know you some, but there's so much more to know. I'm just at the little bit top of that iceberg. There's so much more to him that we can know. We have to make that proclamation that, Jesus, I'm coming for you. I'm striving for you. And Paul, in this passage, makes that very clear. He's saying, man, I haven't obtained it. I may have come some way, but I'm not, not perfect at all. But I press on. I'm going to move on. I'm keeping pressing into him. 
to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Then he says in verse 13, brothers, I love, I love this. I love the way a commentator put this. He says, brothers, <laughs> I don't consider that I made it my own. I love the way this one commentator, I don't remember his name, but anyway, it's just beautiful. He says, this is like the equivalent of him if he could stand with them in Philippi. It's like, you know, when you want to get somebody's attention and they didn't hear you and you're like, you grab them. Sometimes we have our kids and like, look at me. Grabs them by the shoulders, look at me in the eye, look at me. Mm -hmm. And Paul says this to the church. He says, you guys think I got it all together, but I don't. I don't. And that's what he's saying here. You think I don't, that I have it all together, but I don't. I love that. You think that I do. Brothers, I do not consider I've made it my own, but one thing I do. Again, let me say, I love all this, okay? I'm about to say, I love this. This is so good, he says, forgetting what lies behind. You think Paul had some stuff to forget? Y'all know what he did before? The Holy Spirit came and moved on him. He was a killer, a murderer. And Paul now is a church leader. He's the greatest missionary that ever lived. And he's going around the world, planting churches, establishing churches. And you look at his past and you're like, golly. Can you imagine? I mean, I could be like, I'd be scared of him too. Like, that dude's a killer. I don't know if I believe him. He's going to do the old switcheroo here. And he's going to act like he's one of us. He's not. You know, that's what I would be like. But Paul's been around. I mean, you look in, in the Acts and the story of Stephen being stoned. One place where we see Jesus is standing. As Stephen is dying, Jesus stands at the right hand of the Father. He's not sitting. He's standing. He's taking notice of Stephen. Who's there at that time? Saul is. Paul. He's there holding it, and he's approving the whole thing. And as he was on his way to Damascus to do the same thing, what he thought was a righteous and good thing, to stamp out this movement, that's when God just impacted his life and said, No, no, it's, I'm Jesus. And Jesus so impacted him. And so when you look at the past of Paul, it's like, oh, wow. He, um, he's done quite a bit. Some of us, though, when we relate this to our own life, listen to me, okay? I want you to think in your past, and we all have some past, don't we? If you live any time at all. And I'll say this to the younger folks. You're gonna, I told our kids this last week in fourth and fifth grade. I wish it weren't true, but life is not easy. And it's really, it can be so difficult, right? I look back at my life, and there are regrets. There are sins committed against me. There are things I did to other people. Things that, honestly, that I'm ashamed of. And I would... I don't want you seeing those things. And I bet you'd say the same thing. When you look back in the past in your life and you go, what was I thinking? What, what was I thinking? And some of us have so much trouble letting go of that. And we hold it over our heads and the enemy comes and he whispers that in your ear. You remember that time? You're not worthy. Hey, Kenny, you're not worthy to pray this way. Look what you did. And for some of you, it's the same exact thing. He whispers those lies in you. He says, look at you. Look what you did. You remember that, that night, that Saturday night? You remember that mistake you made? Mm -hmm. Well, 
mean shame, shame. And he's really good at just throwing the shame all over you and all over me. And then we have trouble freeing ourselves from our past. We can't forgive ourselves. We hold on to those memories. They come up at odd times and the worst times. We beat ourselves up over some of those decisions in our life. And what Paul is saying here, he says, forget. Forget what lies behind. Forget what lies behind. Now, it doesn't mean you just forget it. If you can make something right because of a poor decision you made, always want to do that, right? But you don't let that, those feelings of regret and things that will affect you emotionally and the, the, the way you live your life now, you don't let them. Paul saying, you, you move on from those. And so that can be difficult to do, right? Because the enemy's always whispering and saying, hey, you remember that time you messed up? Massively regret you had. You lied, you cheated, you stole, you made a mistake that one night. You got that addiction, you remember that addiction? Mm-hmm. Well, I sure remember it. Uh-huh. Remember that addiction to porn that you had? Uh-huh. It's, yeah, it's still around. Well, I don't know. How in the world do you act like you're a Christian? Remember that, that addiction to alcohol? It's way too important in your life, obviously. And now you're over there teaching Sunday school or... You're telling them you're meeting in a fight club and you act like you're all those things that he comes up. You have that broken relationship in your past. You had a lapse in judgment. You made poor decisions. You had a lack of integrity, character that dropped off the face of the earth. And you were just like the world and no one, you would want no one to see it. And he reminds you of those things. But Paul says, forgetting what's in the past. Look at me. Some of you have done some bad things. So have I. Paul says, forget it. It's in the past. Because of the grace of God. Now, how in the world? Paul was a murderer. I've got things in my life. I've never murdered anybody. I'm assuming you haven't either. I hope you haven't. Um, don't murder me, please. Um, but how in the world could Paul say that? He's murdered people. Is there any way he could forget that? I can't forget the things I've done. And they just come up in my mind. Memories. And so I don't think Paul is meaning you forget it. I think he's saying this, that you, and I think we can see in Corinthians, he says this, that we use those experiences in our past, those lapses of in judgment, those bad decisions, those sinful moments in our lives. We allow God to use those in our lives. You know how you've forgotten the past in the right way is when you're able to use your past in order to bless others to encourage others, to point others to Jesus, to make much of Jesus and his grace of what he's done in your life. That's when you know you've forgotten the right way. So when he says, forget the past, it's like, oh, yeah, I did. Satan, when you remind me, you remember when you did that? I said, oh, I sure do remember that. But you know what? Jesus covered that sin, and I'm good now. That's what we say to him. Just shut up. Why do you keep bringing this up? Jesus covered it. And so some of us need to let go of the past and move on from it because Paul's very clear here. Forget the past. Forget it. Move on. Allow God to use it and redeem that in your life. You hear me? Some of you have been holding on to it for years. And Paul's like, quit letting the enemy steal that joy in your life. Move on. God wants to use you. That's why you're here, to know him and make much of him. The second part of that verse, in verse 13, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Straining forward what lies ahead you know this the christian life is compared to a um like to a race and i watch the olympics some 
I love the 100-meter dash and the, um, like the swimmers when they're doing that, that short, you know, sprint. It's my favorite event. I love those events. And you always see, especially in the 100-meter dash, and they're, I mean, they're, it's just a blast to get to the finish line and squeeze again. They're always straining at the end. They're leaning forward, right? Leaning forward to finish that race and do it strong. Paul's saying the same imagery for us. Forget what happened in the past. Let God use it and now strain to know him. Say, I want to know you, Jesus. I want to know everything about you. I'm tired of running sideways off the track, getting into the stands. Some of you need to get back on the track and realize you're in a race here. And now I need, to, I need to focus on him, fix my eyes on him. Hebrews says that. The writer of Hebrews says, fix my eyes on Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of my faith, of our faith. And we fix our eyes on him. Forget what's happened in the past, the successes and the failures. You can't live on yesterday's successes. Back then I was this and this and this. Forget that. What's today? God's called you today to live for him, to make much of him. Forget the past and move forward and say, I'm going to strive and strain with everything I am to be like him, to make much of Jesus in my life. So how do we do this? Every time we preach or share a message here, what is the application? You always need to ask, what? okay, we heard the scripture. What do I do with this right now? And I've already given you one of them. There's five things. If you're taking notes, it'd be a good thing to take notes. Thinking about this. He answers it the first thing. He says, forget the past. So that's the first thing. How do I, how do I strive? How, how do I strain to the end? Forget what happened in the past and forgive yourself of some things that maybe the enemy keeps bringing up. Hey, God's grace covers it all. And some of you need to hear this morning. I need to be reminded of this very often. The constant striving to do things in order and the motivation being that I want to earn his favor in my life. It does not come from me doing, checking a, a box where well, I shared my faith this week. Is he proud of me? I gave generously. Is he proud of me? Hey. He loves you the way you are, perfectly. I heard David Platt say yesterday, he loves you perfectly. I'm like, oh, it's good. He loves you perfectly in spite of your sin, in spite of everything you've done. And move forward saying, I can't, he will not love me any more tomorrow than he does right now, no matter what I do. If I fail miserably later on this afternoon, his love does not change for you. And you are totally, completely, wholly accepted because of Jesus in your life. And that is some good news. That's something to sing hallelujah about for me. I don't have to earn all this. And so I forget the past and I move forward. The second thing is in verse 15 through 17. It says this, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, you think otherwise. God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Here's, what, here's, what, here's how you strive. Some of us can take the church or leave it, and that's not biblical. The church and all of its warts, this is not a perfect church, but I'm going to tell you what. It's made up of a lot of people I know, a lot of people here that are, they love Jesus. And I need you in my life, and you need me in your life to encourage you. Sometimes we get running off the rails and opening the stands, and I even can't get back in the game. You need that. And so how do you strive? You surround yourself with your closest friends should be those who encourage you in your walk with Christ. We have a thing called Fight Clubs here. We started a while back. And it's a gathering of two or three uh, same gender folks. So men with men, women with women. And we meet every week. You have two or three and you meet and you study the word. And you also just encourage you. It's kind of an accountability group. But it will help you to press on, to strain and strive to the end.
by joining that. So this fall, you're going to hear some about that um, this fall, that you join one of those and be involved in that. Same, another plug for this. If you're not a member of our church or partner of our church, we have a, a class 101, City Church 101. It's coming up right after this. As soon as I get done speaking, you get to get lunch. You're like, hurry up. We're going to get some food. Uh, you come on and get some food, and you can learn more about the church. You're not, you know, you don't have to join with us, but you can hear and learn more about it. But I'm telling you this, whether it's this church or another godly, Bible-teaching, solid, gospel-centered church, you need other believers. This online business only, it's fine for those who have to do that for a time, and so grateful that we are able to do that. But if at all possible, you need to be in relationship with people that you can see and be in relationship that would challenge us and walk with Christ, okay? So that's another way you can strive the third thing is in verse 18 through 21, and we already read that earlier. Let me just, for time's sake, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We reorient our lives to things that God wants us to focus on. Hey, listen to this. Randy Alcorn says in his book, The Treasure Principle, I love this. Five minutes after you die, you'll know exactly how you should have lived. You'll know exactly how you should have spent your money, how you should have spent your time, how you should have spent your resources what you invested in, in, your whole life in. Five minutes after you die, I can tell you right now, I can just save you the, the grief or whatever at that point. Focus on him. And there will be five minutes after you die, be like, whoa, I spent my life for the king. I spent my life for the king. I'm a citizen, as he says there in verse 20 or 21, I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm not a citizen here. It may say, you know, I might be an American citizen, but no, no, no. I, this is a short life. I'm living for something. I'm going to live billions and trillions and trillions and trillions of years. I'm a citizen of heaven. So fix my eyes on what's eternal, not the temporary. Fourth thing is back to chapter before in Philippians 2.13. It says that God wills in us, works in us to will and act for his good pleasure. He gives us the desire to obey him. And some of us would say this morning, man, I don't even know. I just don't even desire him, Kent. I don't remember the last time I really want to even get in the word. And I would tell you this. I've been there too. And I pray and say, God, would you just give me a desire for this? Give me a desire to know you. I desire too many things in this world, God. Would you help me focus my eyes and my everything about me, all my everything I want, I want it to be on you. So God, change that in my heart. And here's the truth. He can do it. He can do it. And he's done it in my own life. And so it's another way to strive. Say, man, I'm having trouble striving because I can't keep my eyes off the things of the world. Then you pray and you honestly say, God, I believe you, that your word's true. Would you help me? Give me a passion for you more than I've ever known. The fifth thing, and I'm going to wrap up with this. I'm going to show you a clip from a movie. What is the motivation by which we strive when we lean forward, when we're running a race? It is simply this, and don't tune me out. It is the grace of God. Where he found you. Ephesians says you were dead in your sins and your trespasses. You could do nothing to earn it. You're never going to turn to him had he not come to you first. And because of that, because of the grace in, his, in my life, because of him, my life is his. And it's the motiv motivation by which I will forget the past and I will strive forward to say, God, I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm following after you. I'm going to show you this clip from the movie The Guardian. You're in this movie. You figure out which one you are. Let's show the clip. I'm a Coast Guard rescue swimmer. I'm here to help you. 
saw me and he said I'm coming after that one I'm going to do it in 1977 it's May the end of May he said I'm coming in May of 77 and I'm going to breathe life in that little bit God didn't do that you didn't do it he did it if you know him he found you like that and he said I'm coming after you he's jumped in the water and breathed life in you 
and because of that, all because of what Jesus did, that I strive and strain to say, God, I'm gonna, you're going to find me faithful in the end. For some of us in this room, you're that person. You've never come to faith. You've never, your eyes have never been opened. He's never breathed life in you yet, but God's stirring in your heart. I'm going to tell you right now, he may have just jumped in the water. You feel that your heart stirring? He's jumping in the water, coming after you right now. He's right now wanting to give you life. And you just say, yes, I want that. This morning after we get done here, Ryan and I, Kyle, Matt, Keith, Frank, uh, whoever else I'm leaving out, Kyle, all of us will be down here. If you need to come to faith in him, it's real simple. You respond, and then you live knowing what he did for you, making much of Jesus to your life. Boy, he's worth living it for, isn't he? Isn't he? Well, to remember that picture. That's where you were when he said, I'm coming after you. Give me a life. And now you have hope to live. All the call the days of your life and into eternity. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. God, thank you for speaking even to me as I spoke. Grateful, God, for your grace. Pray, God, you'd move in hearts even now to draw us closer to you and maybe into a relationship with you for the first time. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.